0: Love Talk Radio. Hi there, welcome to Teach Me to Talk to podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm so happy that you joined me for today's show. Today is going to be a continuation of last week's show, which was number two hundred and seventy-one. Now we're at 272, and I still can't believe it that <laughs> this show has lasted for this long. But we're going to finish up talking about treatment ideas for a toddler who doesn't like toys. And as we discussed in last week's show, it really is beyond that. That's kind of a a catch-all phrase that sometimes therapists use and parents use it a lot because when their child isn't playing with toys, they don't really look beyond well he just must not like it and it appears that a kid sometimes doesn't like toys when he walks away when he looks like he just again is showing no real interest when he's not sitting and pursuing play with the toy when he's not continuing to explore it or attempt to use it in the right way and so when a kid does avoid playing with toys to parents, it kind of looks like boy well, just doesn't like it, and so that's something that we'll hear, particularly with young children with autism. Uh, although I have had some kids who are on the spectrum who are really good players, so it's not, it doesn't mean that a child is not on the spectrum if he has some budding and and even some solid skills. But certainly, we will see it in children who are on the spectrum or who have. Other kinds of cognitive deficits, um, those are the children who more often than not we say things like he doesn't like toys or she's just not into that or interest her, anything that would kind of be lumped into that general reason or excuse for a kid not playing with toys uh, that would involve something that seemingly is a purposeful choice and we talked last week about why that really isn't true for lots of children who are toddlers and preschoolers and not yet playing the toys appropriately and we we reviewed all those factors Let's just run through those again in case you haven't listened to that show yet. You know what I'm going to say if you've listened for a long time um, to this particular podcast. You know, I'm going to say you should stop right now <laughs> and go back and listen to show 271 so you've got proper background. But let's just run through what those those factors were really quickly to remind you of why sometimes children don't play with toys. And remember that the reason that I'm doing the show is to talk about and share with you what's going on with one of my clients that I'm seeing right now. He's a little guy that I see fairly often because he's local for me. So that's different than a kid that's coming in from out of state that I might see, you know, once a quarter or once every six months. However, often his parents can come to get kind of a tune-up with their home programming and then go back to their teams. But this is a little guy that I I follow and see regularly because he's here and I wanted to share what's going on with him with for treatment ideas because, frankly, he's been kind of hard. And this is, as I talked about last week, I, that's not a negative statement. I like to work with children who are a little more complex and who have different needs because it's a challenge for me. It's fun for me to figure out what's going to work for him. What will help him be more successful? How can I help his parents? know a better way to do things and remember this is a little guy that I shared uh, last week that I had met when he was turning two I just saw him for an initial consult because his parents just wanted another opinion they were seeing another they were already seeing a team of therapists and mom stumbled upon the website and realized I was local and set up the appointment and saw him just briefly and then they went back to their real life, regular team, saw some other people, and then fast forward a year, and then she contacted me again. So that's why I'm involved with him now and seeing him on an ongoing basis. During that time, he did get a diagnosis of ASD or autism spectrum disorder. So there's a confirmed reason here, a confirmed etiology for his difficulty learning how to communicate and relate with others, and certainly that has involved not playing with toys. And little interest in that. And last week we really spent a lot of time talking about why the social engagement piece is so important, even in with uh, uncovering the reasons that a child might not like to play with toys, um, it, because so many times with children like this, and especially with my little friend, it's the social engagement piece that I think has kept him from learning how to play with a larger um, repertoire of toys. Because as soon as another person would become involved with him with play, he would immediately walk away. And, again, that's due to the core deficit of autism, that core deficit of not being able to consistently interact with and relate to others and some differences there. And certainly when children don't engage with other people, and by engage, if you're a mom and this is one of your first times to listen to the show and you're not quite sure what that means or if you're a therapist who – who hasn't really thought about how do I explain this to parents? Sometimes when we say a word like engage, parents don't really understand what we're talking about there. And when I mean engage, I mean interacting with somebody else, which includes looking at them, wanting to be near them, really doing the things that we do to share an experience, like looking for someone's reaction, anticipating that someone else is going to have a turn, offering Um, a turn or a way for someone else to play with you, having the body language that would exemplify to someone else that it's okay to play with me. Let's let's contrast that with a kid who, who doesn't look like he wants to include someone else in his play. What are some things that he might do? He might walk away. He might turn his back. He might, I've had kids do this, kind of crouch down over the toy so that I'm completely, uh, any, any any chance for me to participate with them is completely eliminated because they have blocked my physical access to the toy. Have you seen that before? I'm sure you have if you're a therapist uh, or if you're a mom with this kind of struggling to consistently include other people and share experiences with other people. That that limitation that that child is exhibiting certainly is internal, meaning that for some reason he doesn't find it enjoyable as we would expect for him to include other people in his, as we're talking about today, specifically in his play with toys. And so because of that, children limit their opportunities to learn how to new, use a new toy because they don't have someone there to show them what to do or show them how to play. And I kind of laugh sometimes with parents and say, you know, and parents have said this to me too, you know, kind of between gritted teeth, you know, they'll say, if he would just do it, he would like it. You know, when we get kind of so frustrated with a kid because we think you're not even giving this a chance, you know, you're not, you know, if I could just get you to sell down right here for a minute and stay with me for a minute and watch me do this for a minute you would like it too do you know what i mean (laughs) has that been your experience as well with some children who don't like to play with toys or who don't seem to enjoy toys yeah and so it's that that limited social interactive piece that children have that will prevent them from expanding their play with toys because if they don't instinctively know how to use a toy and they are but they don't allow other people for whatever reason to show them how to use the toy, then they're kind of stuck with this is new, I don't know how to do it, I don't understand it, I'm going to be frustrated with it, or I'm just going to ignore it and walk away, leave it, whatever they do so that they don't get an opportunity to, with practice, get better and then learn because they get some competency with the play and learn how the toy is supposed to work, and then it becomes fun when they've seen how uh, the toy works or how, how what it does, what's the fun part of it. But some kids don't get to that point because they don't allow other people to show them what to do. Or it could be something like their sensory needs, which we talked about with this little boy last week. He His little system... Craves the movement, so his attention was pretty limited in the beginning, meaning that he stayed with something for five or ten seconds, and then he was off. he was gone, he was running on to the next thing, and I'm certainly. Um, sure that you've seen that if you are a pediatric therapist or, um, and again, let me just say that typically developing children will do this as well. This isn't just limited to children with developmental delays, but we certainly see more of it in our children who are struggling to achieve their milestones, um, and, and, and certainly children with sensory processing issues, unless they really, really, really love something and kind of already know the what's in it for me piece. <laughs> they know what to expect with a toy and they like it and they know how to use it and it's again they've developed some mastery, meaning that they are good at playing with that toy. They don't they don't engage in that. They don't continue with it because it's not pleasurable for them. Again, they're not getting anything from it if if they don't know how to use the toy and don't like it. And so certainly all of these factors can play a part in that. So you've already talked about how social engagement is a big deal, and that's why some kids don't know how to play with more toys because they they haven't had another person show them how to do it. And, again, it's not for lack of trying on, on an adult's part or a parent's part or a therapist's part. The, the adults have tried is that because of where the child is developmentally, he's not able to allow someone else to show him how how to use the toy, so it's not fun for him. Another factor that we talked a lot last week about is um uh, meaning that a child is having difficulty learning how to use the toy. He doesn't remember you know learning memory planning these are all things, all processes processes. With, associate with cognition, or again that learning piece, that thinking piece uh and and children with cognitive delays have difficulty learning how to play with toys because it doesn't make sense to them. they don't understand the end result, sometimes they don't even know that they need to get to the end result or or they're they get stuck <laughs> before they get to the end result because they may. Uh, find something about the toy that is pleasing to them, but it doesn't look like play to us traditionally. So they may perseverate, and if, if that's a new word for you, perseverate just means repeating or doing something over and over and over and over again. I call it being stuck when I talk to a parent. They get stuck on something like pushing the button for a toy but they don't recognize that, that, that the intention for the toy is cause and effect, meaning they push the button and then something exciting happens after that and that's what's supposed to be fun <laughs> for the toy. But a lot of times our little friends, especially our little friends on the spectrum, like repetitive movements and they that's the part that's enjoyable to them. So to a parent just kind of casually observing a child, the play part that that parent would observe is well when he he only he only plays with toys that where he can push the button, and and they recognize that okay he's staying with the toy there, <laughs> he's spending time with that so that's the bulk of his play. Now a therapist might look at that and kind of pathologize that movement, meaning that they make it abnormal, meaning that they're saying gosh he's pushing the button over and over he's it's. A self-stimulatory behavior here, or it's again the word perseverative, or you know he can't he can't move beyond this. He's he's just engaging in this same behavior over and over and over and over and over, and that wouldn't look like play uh, because the, the child isn't using the toy in the traditional way or in the way it is intended. So sometimes that can really prevent a child from looking like he enjoys playing with a lot of toys because he just likes his few little toys that have that one action that he can do. He's successful. And so, again, that mastery piece is there. He he knows, man, I know how to push this. And sometimes he even will see the end result there, see what he's caused to happen with that pushing, and that may eventually become part of it but for some kids they do just kind of get locked into that first little movement and they do it over and over and over again and it doesn't look like he's really playing with the toy um because he's not <laughs> so those cognitive delays because he doesn't get that oh the fun part for this is supposed to be the next part you know he just kind of fixates on the movement, the pushing the button, whatever the repetitive action has been, he kind of fixates on that. And again, sometimes that is, that could be a sensory issue, meaning I really like the feeling that I get when I push with my finger, or it could be he likes the sound that the toy makes, or it could be that, you know, which would be an example of a child who enjoyed the end result, and that is more like play. It could be... um, because of a motor issue meaning that that's all the kid can do is isolate that little finger and push the button and and whatever's supposed to come next whatever movement he's supposed to do next that's too hard or whatever action another toy required that's too hard too and he can't do it because of his limited motor capabilities so that's the reason he doesn't like a lot of different toys because he only likes what he knows he can do and again that's that's expected. We talked about last week that none of us really, truly persist in things that we're not good at unless there's some other reason for us to have a big payoff or, you know, it's a requirement we have to do it. But it's just kind of human nature not to continue to persist in activities that we're not good at so certainly that mastery piece or, or kids who feel successful when they realize yes i can do this they're going to want to participate a little bit more and if they can't ever get beyond that or don't notice for whatever reason that something comes next they can get locked into just playing with a few little toys or just doing or toys that all have the same requirement or toys that all look kind of the same um because that's where their skill set is maybe because of a motor issue or, like we talked about already, a cognitive issue. They're just not ready to move beyond that to get that next little step of maturation so that the next set of toys or a set of toys that would be a little bit more complex isn't worth it to them yet because they're they're just not there cognitively. Another uh, thing that we talked about last week that really limits my little guy, this current little client I'm talking about from participating are his inconsistent responses to things he hears. And certainly when other someone else talks, <laughs> that's a form of auditory input. He just does not have a strong listening system or the, um, it, uh, how else can I say this for you? Auditory input, things he would hear, whether it would be words or sounds, don't really do it for him. <laughs> he's he's not learning in the typical way as um, we would expect a toddler to crave someone else to talk to him, to want to hear other people, to be good at listening to something, linking meaning with words, understanding it, and then being able to use that information to learn how to play with a new toy or follow a direction or respond to his name, anything like that. And so certainly this little guy because of his set of weaknesses and because auditory information is hard for him to make sense of, play has been affected with that, too. Because, again, he doesn't respond when a toy makes a funny sound. He won't do something and want to do it over and over to hear the sound, which is what a lot of babies and young toddlers, that that's why they like to play. is 'cause because the sounds are so fun. Uh, Fisher-Price, Mattel, all the toy companies, Leapfrog, all those toy companies know that that's an intrinsic um, source of enjoyment for toddlers because they've made thousands and thousands and thousands of different toys that have sounds. And so we know that that's how kids learn and that kids usually like that. But my little guy is developing differently. And so he doesn't enjoy that. So that certainly has become one of the, or is one of the factors that we've identified as contributing to his not liking to play with toys and not wanting to play with toys. And we already talked about the short attention span too. So all of those things that I've mentioned certainly have interacted and contributed and caused this issue with not playing with toys, which is what we're talking about here um, in the show. So last week, we reviewed those factors, and we talked about initial treatment strategies for children like this. And I don't want to repeat the entire show, But I do want to mention that those factors and the things that we started with initially, the first thing we did is we got social games going so that his parents knew how to get a more consistent social response from him, meaning that he's looking at them, he's smiling, he's enjoying the activity, he's initiating some of these kinds of uh, little routines that they've done. And you can go back and listen to that show for those specific ideas. But that was number one. The number one thing we did is get him to enjoy letting his parents interact with him. And, again, let's just talk about that. Certainly his parents did interact with him during daily routines all the time. I mean, they fed him. They bathed him. (laughs) They got him to sleep. They did all of the caretaking things, uh, as all parents do. But as far as that one-on-one play, just for the sheer enjoyment of it, that's not something that they did a lot because he liked to be by himself he liked to do his own thing and we've already mentioned that with me or with anybody when you try to approach him to play together his reaction is get out of there run get away avoid and that's one of the core deficits of autism you know we certainly see that over and over and over in in, uh, children who are diagnosed with autism um And that certainly has been part of his issue. So we needed to have a way where he started to enjoy interacting with his parents and wanted to seek them out for purely social purposes, not just meeting his daily needs, not just leading them to the refrigerator (laughs) to get something to drink or in some other way indicating that he had a physical need. That needed to they needed to take care of, but just to enjoy being together and playing together and using a toy, or you know we weren't even up to toys yet, most of the things that they did with him. His little social games all revolve around physical activity because he has that need to move, 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 and he likes that rough and tumble play. So we designed a lot of different activities that they could do with him. And some were routines, again, that I wasn't introducing all of these. They had figured these out on their own as parents do. And so we just talked about how to make these games a little bit more structured for him so that he had a part and so that he was learning, oh, this is what I do. And that makes it more fun for a child too where where it's not all um, they're not always passive participants where he learns oh my goodness I can take the blanket to mom and dad and they're going to swing me or if I look at them and then start to run and then look back at them they're going to chase me and so when a kid learns to do his part with that Look at what all happened. He's engaged. He's interacting. He's learning to communicate, even if it's not with words. You know, handing his parents a blanket—that's a to to swing him or to play peekaboo with him or to snuggle him or to roll him around. That's communication, even though he's not saying, "Would you please do this for me?" They get it. He's looking right at them. He's brought them the object to use, and they certainly can figure out what he wants, which little version of the game he wants to play by his reactions. But can you see how that's developmentally more mature and how he's learned new things with just paying a little bit of attention to what he already likes and then expanding those kinds of preferences so that the parents are involved with that as well? And so that, it, again, it's not just revolving around a physical daily need like eating and drinking and bathing and dressing it's for the the fun of it for the pure social emotional attachment there that back and forth piece so that's what we did at the beginning and again go back and listen to that previous show if that's new information for you if you want some really detailed help excuse me with how to get those social games going check out my book teach me to play with you because that'll walk you through the step-by-step-by-step-by-step ways that you teach a child to participate in those kind of social games. And again, every kid doesn't like every social game. Not every kid will play Peekaboo with you or Patty Cake. You may have to be a little bit more creative like we were with our little friend and do lots of those moving kinds of games like chase and throwing him around on the couch. And he has a cute little matador routine that they do at nighttime with the towel after bath time. And learning how to take a little thing that a child likes like that and really turn it into a back and forth communicative experience so that he does something, you do something, he does something, you do something, and that a child wants to do it over and over and over and over and over again because that builds attention and that builds participation. And a lot of times therapists and parents will get frustrated because the kid won't sit down and play with you you know, with a toy, they'll say, well, he's not going to roll a ball back and forth with me. He doesn't like that. That's not, you know, for whatever reason, it's not exciting enough for him. He doesn't have the attention for that. If we'll just change it, if we'll use a different material or make it a little more movement-based or whatever we would need to do to get the kid involved based on whatever his little sensory profile is or whatever his needs are, where his cognition is, or, or, you know, his personality, what he just likes to do. When we figure those things out and do those things, that's when a kid's attention span really, really, really improves. So you have to start with what the kid already likes. There have to be some in that make it worth it for the kid to want to stay with you and do whatever it is you're doing. But listen, adults can't decide that. that. That has to be based on each kid so re a really individualized process but the book teach me to play with you you'll be able to almost any kid flip through there and find some things that are pleasurable for that child so that he will want to do those things with you and then over time you increase that attention span by doing what he likes with him and then he learns to enjoy you as a part of that process and then you begin to expand with other kinds of toys or other kinds of play. You know, and we certainly aren't gonna leave a kid where he is if we don't just teach a kid one social game or do one little routine like chase that a kid likes and then never look beyond getting past that. <laughs> but it's certainly something that we start with as a way to build participation and attention, and I even call it task completion, because if we can't get a kid who likes physical movement to do a physical movement game with us three times in a row, ten times in a row, let me just tell you, there is no way he's going to sit down and play with you one-on-one on on the floor with a toy, or heaven forbid, sit at a table with you. He's just not going to do it. If he doesn't have enough attention span to do a physical game with you, and again, this would be a kid who loves physical stuff, who's on the go all the time. If you can't get sustained participation with something like that, you have no chance (laughs) of getting it with something that's difficult for him, like doing a puzzle or playing, let's even go something a little more advanced, starting to do pretend play with a set of toys. There's just no way. So we have to build that attention piece first with things that he already likes and things that he's kind of good at already. And I hope that makes sense to you. And it's just kind of, again, if we kind of step back and think about looking at this from a common sense perspective, (laughs) everyday knowledge perspective versus all this therapy stuff. We have to start with what a kid likes, and we have to start with what he's already shown some interest in and what he's already kind of good at as a way to build that attention. We can never start with something brand new that he doesn't like, that he has no idea what he's doing, or no reasonable expectation that he could complete that task. We have to start with something that's familiar and that he enjoys. All right, enough about that. So that's what we did first. We started with those social games. Secondly, I talked last week a lot about how, Communication, of course, is our ultimate goal for every child that we're that every speech language pathologist would see. You know, hence the need for speech therapy. <laughs> Why would we be seeing them if learning how to communicate is not that overall long term big objective here? Uh, so, but this little guy, as so many of our little friends are early intervention, is really not developmentally ready to talk, and so we talked about signing and picture exchange communication system as a way that we know that those strategies work for children with delayed speech language skills but for our little guy we had to fill in some of the foundation pieces first now go back and listen to the show because certainly i've entered you know mom and dad with their other therapists and you know with me as well we've we're introducing these augmentative, alternative communication strategies. And he's also doing some iPad things too, That we're not even gonna start on my (laughs) discussion that I always engage in about why we really wanna involve children in more realistic 3D real life activities versus going straight to an iPad or a screen. Um, We're not even gonna go there because that would take up the entire show. But certainly let me just say, We've introduced some signs, introduced some pictures, and he's not made tons of progress with that yet because developmentally it's not there. We've got to get these other things going first. But I want to mention that because so many times therapists will email me and they'll say, you know, I've read your book, Building Verbal Imitation and Toddlers, and we're working on actions with objects. And he's using about 10 different words, but I still can't get him to... Imitate me with play, and so I've told his parents that we just can't work on words yet. And so, naturally, the parent is saying to them, Why not? He already has 10 words, why can't we get more going? I don't understand why you want to, why you're not working on talking. So, for kids like that, I'm not saying that we would not introduce a compensatory strategy like signing and pecs or or for a kid who's already talking who already has a handful of words i'm not saying that we're going to ignore our overreaching long-term goal, which is to communicate you know i'm not going to say to a kid don't you dare say a word yet don't you dare imitate this word yet because you haven't imitated actions with objects and you haven't imitated um, body movements and you haven't imitated exclamatory words you know if a kid is learning to talk and has seemingly skipped those steps you're still going to kind of work on all this because all these foundational pieces are certainly important but it just from a common sense perspective it doesn't make a lot of sense to say to a parent well I know we're saying some things but I can't work on I can't ever talk to you about that expressive language long-term goal yet because he still hasn't done these earlier things please don't mistake when i tell you when i say things like back up and work on these earlier pieces or you got to make sure he understands words before we worry about him talking you don't ignore your expressive goals you just get your strategies in place and you tell parents hey look we're doing some of these signs and we're going to introduce these pictures but i feel like we're not going to see a ton of progress in these areas yet because we still have some gaps to fill in before we're going to see lots and lots and lots of progress and so even though signing and these pictures it's not quite ready for those things to to you know we still have some Work to do. We still have some skills to acquire. We still introduce those at the beginning, knowing that that is a longer term focus, and that if we can get these other things going, we'll see more success. After we've filled in these underlying pieces that he, these milestones that he hasn't acquired. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope I've explained that in a way. that you get it. And if you're again the reason that I painstakingly talk through this stuff, which sometimes it's you know feels like, oh, just kind of move forward. You know, people are at different knowledge levels when they listen to the show. Sometimes parents will start with the most recent show and then kind of work themselves backwards for the podcast. So if this is the first time a parent is listening, I want them to really hear me say that sometimes children aren't developmentally ready to talk when we first begin therapy. And so even though, and I want them to know that, but I also want a therapist to hear who's maybe been listening to the show for a long time, or maybe even a newer a therapist that teach me to talk, the podcast is new for them that they're coming to the show and they're looking for new ideas and things. And you've heard me say phrases like backup or work on the foundational piece or you, the kids not ready to talk yet. We've got to do all these other things. You still don't ignore or you don't not include you don't you don't say to a parent we're not going to introduce any of those expressive strategies yet because we still have to do these things you kind of do it all at the same time which is a comprehensive treatment plan and you're telling parents yeah, I'm, we're doing these signs, and yes, we're doing these pictures, but I want our primary focus to be on these other things that should have come first. And when we help him learn to do the things that should have come first, all of these other signs, pictures, words, he'll be more likely to make progress That after we get these other pieces going first. But again, you would never say to a parent, well, I'm not going to work on any signs at all yet because he's not ready, or I'm not going to show you how to use these pictures and explain this process and work with him with this in therapy and teach you how to do it on a daily basis. You would never say to a parent, we're not going to do that at all yet. I introduce these things, telling them and saying to them, look, this is going to be long-term. I don't expect yet that he's going to be able to use signs like we would want him to or like we would expect him to because he's got to learn these other things first. But we're going to go ahead and introduce it, knowing that eventually – we're going to get there all right and again i hope that makes sense to you if it doesn't go back and listen to the other show that probably that information would give you a little bit more background if you're struggling to understand why we would do that all right so then the next thing we did with this little guy and i talked about this a lot last week is i thought that he would really respond to structured teaching activities and as we talked about last week a lot of those activities were a complete bust I had things that I typically use and you can go back and watch the I think I referred to an initial therapy tip of the week segment that I did back in January or February of 2012 where I showed you these really simple cognitive activities and like having um, a plastic container drilling holes in the top of the container putting pipe cleaners in. I have one even simpler version of that where it's just like a juice, a plastic juice bottle where there's one little hole in the top and our, our whole task for the child is to put straws that we've cut in half into um the jar, into the bottle. And the reason that we do that, kids like that in and out um that's one of the first play activities that a baby will do that container play where you know put it in dump it out put it in dump it out and a lot of toddlers especially those with cognitive delays that's where they're functioning developmentally so we meet them where they are we we give them opportunities to practice that we help them get some mastery meaning they are darn good at putting those pipe cleaners in the in the container, and they enjoy it, and they persist in it, and that's where we start to build that attention span. They'll sit and do it for 10 or 15 minutes straight, you know, and and for some kids, that's totally unrealistic. One minute would be success, Uh, but certainly that's the, the theory, and that's why we would use those kinds of activities, and developmentally, that's where he was functioning, and I really thought, oh, this is where we should start. This is, he's going to like this. This is where we're going to see some success. He doesn't play with other toys. His parents can't really get him to sit and do very much of anything. Let's start with these things. I think he's going you know. and I built it up with the parents and we talked about how I thought it would work and why it would work and the same kinds of things that I said on the show last week and today and he didn't like it. (laughs) And so as a therapist you've experienced this where you just think an idea is just going to set the world on fire and it's going to make a real difference and you're going to see some great participation and. Oh, it's gonna all come together. Well, that did not happen, and then you kind of have to take a step back and say, "Why isn't this working? Why didn't he like it what What's going on with this? What's my next idea? Do you just kind of pack it all in and say, "You know, hmm, well, let's just jump then back to signs and pictures. He's not ready for that either. What do you do? So I had to use a lot of um, really analyzing what would work and what did work with some of the little activities that we tried oh, and then eliminate the activities that he didn't seem to have an interest in or we would determine, oh, that's too hard. That's why he doesn't like that. We tried something with uh, clothespins, and that was just too hard for him to learn how to clip the pen on um, the side of the container that we were using and even to manipulate the um, clothespin he wasn't very interested in that that wasn't a material that he found exciting it was kind of boring for him so he didn't want to do it so we had to again kind of run through a lot of different activities to figure out what does what will catch his attention what will capture his interest enough for him to want to participate so as we were going through these activities and again this is after I'd introduced gosh probably five or six activities that I thought he would like that were total um fail epic fail <laughs> I found a couple little things that he did like he did like textured couche balls do you know what i'm talking about those little balls that are kind of rubbery and have the little spiky things really small ones so i got a uh, got them at dollar tree i think or somewhere some little dollar store like that he liked those little balls and you know what else he liked he liked putting them in a container only if the container had some form of resistance do you know what i mean by that meaning that there had to be some little challenge to get the ball in the container. So he liked um, a coffee can. I had a coffee can here at home, and I, in the top of the can a small X so that it would make just a tiny hole, barely big enough to get the ball in, meaning that he had to push it in the container with his fingers and again that was just challenging enough to make him want to stay with that and he likes tactile um, input meaning things in in real language stuff he can feel with his hands (laughs) tactile meaning touch. And so he liked how he likes how a little kush balls feel when he rubs them on his fingers. So that's another hook for him. That's another reason that 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 activity was successful. So again, you have to figure out what does this kid like. What does he seek when he's looking for something to do on his own? What? kinds of things does he spend time doing. And so he's a kid that likes sensory exploration like bean boxes and pasta in a box or anything that he can kind of touch and feel. So that's why the Koosh Ball activity worked with the coffee can. So then I started thinking, okay, how can I expand this? Let's look for other kinds of containers that so we can you know not be stuck with this one little activity of 10 kush balls and going into the coffee can and let me just say if you do have a kid who's stuck kind of on one activity and you can't get them to move on what are some things you can do that are still helping him move on and not just stay in that one little developmental spot you might increase the number of balls that you give him so at the beginning you know he he I think I did have a set of 10 or 12 balls, but he never did all of those in one sitting at the beginning. He might've only done three or four before he needed to move on. And so for a kid like that, progress is, well, let's see if we can get him to do all 10 before he moves on. Or um, if you find that, gosh, it's not really the balls that he loves, this is the container. Then you try to get him to put different objects in the container, which we tried some things with him, but he really, he loved Uh, for him the balls really, really worked, and for us, finding another container was for him to use the balls with, that that was progress for us. That was a way to expand the activity. So I found a Huggies white box, and I've used this a lot in the past because the Huggies brand of the wipes, it, it has a little, gosh, it's kind of hard for me to explain, especially without looking at one right in front of me, but, you know, how white boxes look. They're just a plastic box with and I'm talking about wipes you use, you know, to change a baby's diaper. The, and the box, that, the box that I'm talking about with Huggies, it's a hinged plastic box. So there's a top, but then it has a secondary top. And so the lid there, if you push the button, the lid pops up, just a little uh, oval lid. But then there's a layer of stretchy kind of spongy material where you can pull the wipe out of the top of the box without opening the big hinged lid and so that material uh, you know after you pop that little oval lid open that stretchy material I thought gosh that's enough like this coffee can top that he, he'll he like this, and this will provide enough resistance so that he has to work a little bit to get the ball in there. And, guys, that worked. And so then what happened then? Then we've got two activities that he'll do with his parents, <laughs> with them sitting there, with him handing him the next ball. And then we have to figure out with kids like this, you know, our purpose We've got a lot of different goals here. You know, we're working toward playing with toys. We're working toward improving his attention span. But we're also working toward him letting other people participate with him and play with him. And sometimes structured teaching activities, you're really teaching independence so that a child will – uh, complete all of these activities on his own. But for this little guy and for lots of our little guys, that's not really the purpose we should be doing. We should be looking at teaching them ways to let other people play with them. And so certainly for this little client, his parents have been a big part of his little structure teaching activities, and, and that's by design. I want him to need his parents to complete these activities because that's been something that he's – not understood and not you know that's that's one of the reasons he's not communicating it's because he didn't get that back and forth sharing of and participating in and and including other people in his little activities remember what I said about him he just wanted to get the heck out of there when somebody played with him so now we've got two little activities that he will do or you know at the beginning I'm talking about when I first started working with him again in July it's October now, in case you're listening and wondering, oh, what was the time stand there? Um, So that's kind of how we started. And that, you know, finally figured that he would do that stuff out maybe in the third session that I saw him because we kind of had some third or fourth session with some trial and error with what he liked. And we had to spend some time getting the social games going. And then we had those um, couple of sessions where I brought in a lot of different materials and showed parents a lot of different activities that we could do you know, to find things that he loved. So we end up with these two activities. But he still didn't really want to sit with his parents. We first started out um, just sitting on the floor with him trying to, his parents trying to get him to engage in these activities. That was not successful at all for him. He would immediately, you know, after one or two little turns, run away or want to jump on the couch or, again, just kind of do his own thing. So then we tried, let's see if we can introduce a little more structure here. Let's go to, he had a little picnic table with a little chair and a little, you know, child's house table. Let's try it here at the table and see if we can't get, because there's, you know, there's more, well, structure built into the activity, meaning that, you know, I want you to sit right here and we're going to put the activity here on the table. You know, would that be too much for him or would it be just enough to help him settle his little body so that he could sit down and do it for more than a time or two? You know, for some kids that does work. Now, let me just say, I'm not the kind of therapist that I prefer to play with children with no Feeding requirements or behavioral expectations as far as I just want you to play with me and let's do this together and we're going to have a ton of fun and you're going to learn and all this stuff. That's that's the ideal. But for some children, you do have to provide a little bit more structure so that they can stay with you and participate with you. Um, and so this little guy, you know, and again, the reason that we were doing that is because when you didn't have any kind of expectation there, if you were just going to try to sit and play with him on the floor, that didn't work. He wanted to run away or do his own thing or avoid or all those things that we talked about. So we tried to, sitting at the table as a way to see if structure would help that get better and if he would learn to stay with us because you know, he had the little table and chairs there. Well, what do you think happened? That didn't work either. <laughs> he still kinda wanted to get up and move and get away and again do the things that he does and so then mom and I talked a lot about what would what would be a reward for him. What would be motivating enough for him to wanna stay. For a lot of kids, you know, it's just the sheer enjoyment of the activity, and I hope. And for him, let me just tell you, we're we're getting there on some things now. But you know, it's October. We've had a lot of experience and practice with this since July. But in the beginning, he certainly that just doing it because the playing with the activity, completing the activity with me, it wasn't enough. The activity wasn't enough for for motivating him to do it so we had to figure out okay how can we reward this how can we reinforce him sitting here some kids you can try a lot of different things some kids will work for food <laughs> meaning that they do whatever you want them to do do the activity and you feed them you give them a goldfish or a bite of a cookie or whatever it just so happens this little guy doesn't really like to eat either which we see with a lot of our little friends on the spectrum and if you introduce something like I want you to work and then get the food. Oh, it's even less motivating because he does. He likes marshmallows and he likes Oreos and he likes Pringles, but only on his terms. So he doesn't like them enough for that to really be the reward, because the activity or the expectation is still too hard, and the motivation or the reward is not good enough for him for him to want to persist in that. Does that make sense to you? So then I said mom you know let's come up with something else here let's you know what we and we talked about this last week we had already teased out what were his very favorite things to do what did he love 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 because that's what we have to use as his reward or his motivation however you want to think about that his biggest thing is he's a movie kid he loves tv he loves his movies and so i said to mom you know i don't do this a lot but to teach him how to sit and stay here with you, let's put one of his favorite movies on a laptop, or I think that we ended up, they had a little portable DVD player that they used in the van. And so we put it in there because we could really, really teach him. You do, you know, four or five of your little balls in the container. You sit here and then, After you finish, as soon as you finish with that, we're going to put this movie on and let you watch it for 30 seconds or a minute, and then we'll do the balls again, and then we'll watch the movie again. Do you see how we kind of set it up like that, and would that be rewarding enough for him to want to stay and participate in play with us? Could that be a way to teach him how to do this? As it turns out, he loved the movie part, but he was still really needing to get up and get away. And it sort of became more than a power struggle about, you know, I want to just leave. I I don't, I like the boss and I like the movie, but your expectation of me sitting here at this table is just too much. And he evidenced that by, you know, again, really whining complaining crying crawling under the table you know being a little bit aggressive he's not a kid that's really going to try to bite you or pull your hair or hurt you but you know push you a little bit you know so he let us know hey this is not working for me so then we kind of took a step back and mom said I you know I was there and I said it, during the session, okay, we're just going to kind of keep thinking about this and working through this. And when I came back the next week, Mom said, "Laura, I can't get him to sit at the table, but look what he'll do." And she had moved the whole activity into their main living area. They have a big round coffee table where he he she would place toys there, and you know whatever he. Sort of paid attention to or whatever he liked to do he he liked standing at that table so she said this is what i did i had him stand at the table because i think making him sit was making him too mad and then he's still kind of in control she said but we would do the activity and then i would turn on our regular tv which of course you know it's a big tv of you know like all of us have and so she would turn the tv on as his reward there. And she said, "I he, he does it with me now. He's playing with me there, he'll do he'll the balls, we'll put the movie on for a minute, I'll turn it off, we'll do that again. you know." And she had built some nice participation that way. And so again, I love that that mom was able to kind of take the information that we talked about during this session with me saying, okay, these are our objectives, I don't care how we accomplish it, I just want him to learn to stay with us and play with us and us do this activity together we found an activity that he likes. We've found two little versions of it. So we're not just stuck on one activity. We've increased the number of little balls that he would do. You know, he's, he's doing, you know, all darn 10 of those balls now, and he's doing it with two different containers. And she really took the part with get him to stay with her and repeat that activity over and over and over. She took that whole, let me reward him with this movie, but let me figure out a way that this works and And figure it out on our own if he can stand up, he'll do it. If he can see the movie on a regular t v that he loves to watch, that's motivating for him. This will make him make it worth it for him to stay and do that. So we said you know he he did this okay, once we were able to do that and get that going, we started looking at other things that we could do. What else, you know, we talked about, would he do use different kind of materials in each of those little containers that he liked? I tried a lot of different things. I've mentioned with the other activities that we did that we tried the um, materials like straws and pipe cleaners and clothespins. And he didn't really like any kind of small manipulative. Sometimes kids will like those things because they're sort of novel. But he did better if it was more toy like which was kind of a surprise. So then we tried to expand to other kinds of activities that were more toy like. I introduced some um a really popular activity that almost every other kid has liked with a box that I velcroed a car like just a solid color Hot wheel car on, and then drew a line so that the kid had to visually track, so almost making like a little street, the same color as the car. And then you drive the car into a hole that I cut in the top of this cardboard box. And, again, I've had massive success with that with other kids. For him, he... Um, liked the activity, but only because he wanted to spin the cars. And so that was a real barrier for us, too, finding materials that he would use to complete the activities we attended without going into his self-stimulatory behaviors. And so, you know, I really thought, well, because he likes cars, he's interested in cars, this will be a fun kind of transition activity for us where we can move to more toy-like activities move more toward play but that didn't work because his stems kind of got in the way of that and again this whole that's why i like this job so much because i like that trial and error i like thinking hmm how can i change this what can i do about this what's our overall goal here how can i use this activity on the way to what our overall goal would be and again for this kid certainly his big goal of course is communicating Secondly, letting mom and dad kind of interact and communicate with him. And thirdly, you know, play with toys, you know, this whole purpose that we're talking about. So we figured out with, okay, cars, and I I tried some, you know, we figured out cars aren't going to work. I even tried some other things, like I I had a long, clear tube that I got from Lowe's that it looks like a tunnel, but you can, I think it's to cover a fluorescent light or something like that um but you can see the car move all the way down and again I've had kids who loved this activity but because of his predetermined way that he uses cars is just to spin them not to really push them down a ramp or even put them in this cool clear tunnel and watch them slide all the way down he just can't do it yet he's just not there yet developmentally his his action his team with cars is always to spend them. So my point here is there's a lot of trial and error as you are determining what a kid can and can't do at a particular point in therapy. And I feel like eventually I'm going to get him to play with cars appropriately. <laughs> He's just not there yet. So we spend a lot of time, kind of again, that trial and error piece looking at what kinds of materials that he would use uh, with uh, the play activities that we were getting going. So let me give you some other ideas of things that did work. For him and for lots of children um, who, again, won't do those other – well, let me just say, for him – let's just talk about him specifically – he didn't like materials that didn't have some kind of little textured component or something that was more toy-like that he was a little bit more familiar with. So when we kind of dropped all of the um, materials that I mentioned, like pipe cleaners, uh, straws, popsicle stick, colored popsicle sticks, anything that didn't seem, again, like, a toy toy. When we stopped when when we when we moved on to things that were more toy like, he got better but he still could not use the toy in the way it was intended. So the next little rung of toys would be for children beyond the container play, dump it in, put it out, dump it in, dump it out. It would be that next little set of toys like shape sorters. Cups that are nesting cups, um, puzzles, really, really simple puzzles. And again, he could not use those in the traditional way, but we decided instead of constructing with those toys blocks, for example, building, he did like to deconstruct, meaning knock it down, take it apart, (laughs) disassemble it, destroy it. He liked that. So instead of putting puzzles together, our objective was let's take the puzzle apart. And again, we knew that those little containers that we were using for the little kush balls and the uh, the Huggies box and the coffee container, I said to mom, let's do this let's just have that we're not just that we're taking the puzzle apart, you know, and and she got, you know, he's not ready to put the puzzle together. He's not ready to put the shapes in the shape sorter. I mean, because my goodness, she had tried for, you know, he's three. She's tried practically, you know, for two years of that to get him to do these kinds of activities and he wouldn't do it. I said, let's just focus on taking those things apart. So any kind of toy that we can assemble and that we can have him destroy it, disassemble it that's what we're going to do and we'll use these little containers because he likes that and we'll get him to put those pieces in the containers it worked so well so say for a nine piece puzzle that he had no interest in doing at the beginning because it made no sense to him and let me just say motor wise he was a little bit challenged to get the pieces in the slots where they go he loved taking the piece out of the puzzle you know mom's already put the pieces and taking the piece out of the puzzle and then putting it in the container he loved that and at the beginning we could only get him to do three or four pieces and then mom had to turn the movie on very quickly i would say within a couple of weeks of mom really working with him and and setting aside this time to play with him in this way and to teach him how to do it he was doing the whole nine pieces taking all the pieces out, putting them in the container, you know, doing, uh, having mom celebrate a little bit for him and then watch the movie. And so that took about two weeks to kind of get him to learn how to, how to work through that process where he, he did more than a piece or two, you know, he need and within, and mom gradually built it up. So, and mom's doing all the heavy lifting here, guys. I'm, I'm using a coaching model 95% of the time with this family, one, because it's the right thing to do. With children who are toddlers, you want parents empowered so that they can use these strategies and work with their children. They're there all the time. You're not there for an hour or two a week or every couple of weeks. You may not even get that much time. So we have to teach parents how to do the strategies. The second reason that I am using a 95%, 98% coaching model with this little boy is because he will do things for his parents that he will not do for me. He interacts so much better with them and really, especially since we started in July, really enjoying playing with them because they're doing it more and because they've they met him where he was developmentally and because they've worked for, you know, hours every day <laughs> engaging him in this kind of thing. And I don't mean that they're setting aside, you know, from ten o'clock to one o'clock, this is all we're gonna do. I just mean throughout the day, whenever he's ready to do these little things, they stop what they're doing, they they have built up this playtime into starting at the beginning with a minute or two and then watching the movie for a couple of minutes and then back to a minute or two of play and then watching the movie for a couple of minutes. You know, that, that's been a painstaking process for them, but they've done it. They've done it by themselves just with – with suggestions from me and with coaching from me every week to two weeks of going in and seeing what the activity is and seeing what they're doing and seeing what our barriers are and seeing his progress and seeing his struggles and being able to say, let's tweak it this way. Let's try it this way. Let's let's change this. How about this? Let's add this. Just by doing that, they have come so far from this little boy who would not stay with them for anything now is engaging in Gosh, ten or fifteen little play routines that they're doing with these kinds of toys, and certainly, and again, and when you add all the time that they spent um, teaching him how to do social games and playing with that, that ends up to be now the majority of his day. And he also goes to a little preschool program, but the majority of his day, instead of doing his own thing and then having to, um, you know, really work so hard to get him to engage he's He's engaging with them and interacting with them a lot compared to you know what he's doing before and If we were really charting the time here, we've probably had you know a four or five hundred percent increase in the amount of time that he'll stay with his parents and participate and do things together and Guys, that's huge that's huge for our long term goal of communicating. He has to want to be with other people and enjoy being with other people and like it and and seek it out versus always trying to get away that's where we start with kids like this so let me give you some other ideas of the kinds of things he's doing so instead of with when we're at this deconstruct phase instead of wanting a kid to put the rings on the shape sorter when you're working with this kind of kid at the beginning your goal is just to get them to take it off okay and i again deconstruct is what i say to parents or disassemble we don't want him to put it together we want him to take it apart so for this little guy, it wasn't just taking the rings off. That he, that was boring to him. It was putting the rings in the containers made it so much more fun for him and made him want to stay and do it. And so our goal for him, too, has been not only to expand, like we talked about, the time so that, you know, instead of three koosh balls, he did ten koosh balls. And, of course, that takes more time. He's staying with his parents longer. Over And at the beginning, we immediately rewarded that with you get to watch the movie after you do one little round of that play. Well, over time, I was able to say to his mom, okay, let's have him do the balls and take apart one of the puzzles and then do the movie. And then, you know, after a couple weeks of that, instead of stringing two activities together, we could string three activities together before he had to be rewarded. Uh, Other kinds of things that he did – uh, they had several, like most times do, several kinds of little shape-sorter toys. And so instead of him putting the shapes in the toy, Mom would put the puzzle together or put the shape toy together. And his job was just to take them apart and put it in the containers. Okay, so after we got that, you know, we will we'll introduce a new activity and do the deconstruct phase for days or weeks, however long Mom felt like he could you know that that before he was ready to move on and again mom is helping judge this this isn't me this is mom saying i think he's ready for the next step so the next step for him has been to learn to take the toy apart and then to put it back together and this does not happen overnight like i said it's a gradual process over weeks of mom really working with him and you know, at first taking all the pieces out of the puzzle or taking all the shapes order pieces off the board and putting them in the container. And then mom got to the point where she could open the container and say, oh, and, and you know, at, at the beginning, it was just put two of the pieces back where they go. And then we're going to reward with the movie. You know, and then a couple of weeks later, he built up to gosh i can take all the pieces out of the puzzle put them in the container then my mom can present them to me one at a time and i can over you know several weeks he learned to the point where now he's getting all the pieces back in the puzzle and you know that takes a lot longer than it did at the beginning you know he's staying with mom gosh 10 minutes 15 minutes at a time now stringing several of these activities together now with the little uh Stacker stacking rings, you know, by size toy. He'll take the rings off and then have them in the container, and then take them out of the container and put them back on. And mom is able to get him to, you know, do some things with. We're not too picky about if they're on in the right order yet and all of that because we don't want him to get frustrated and walk away. We want him to stay. But she's able to start to teach him some of these things that he's not ever wanted to participate in before, that he's never stayed and and tried to do before. But it's all with this increasing our expectations and rewarding, rewarding, rewarding (laughs) what he'll do for us with his favorite motivators. Now, I would never choose using a movie as a motivator for children. If you've listened to this show, you know that I think screen time is going to be the death of all of us because of how uh, device addicted so many people are. But for this little guy, it's the only thing that worked. And let me just say, we had to start with that, but now his television time has decreased significantly from July to October because he's learned how to play with so many other things and he can do, he has so many more options now. He can do so much of this play on his own now. The bulk of it is still with his parents as we want it to be because we want it to be interactive and communicative. But he's finding things to do now that don't revolve around watching a movie. He used to be the kind of kid that had to have a movie on in the background no matter what. And now, mom says, they hardly have to turn the TV on. And if this is a short amount of time, guys. July to October, that's not very long. Now, granted, his parents have really devoted so much time to working with him one-on-one and not every family's ready to make that kind of commitment but when families are and when we we find things that work for children even when it's hard you know again he's a hard kid he's this this kind of strategy this kind of technique is not something that we use with every single kid with a delay because most of our kids with delays even those who are on the spectrum, you can engage them and play with regular toys. This is a really specific situation where a kid didn't respond to anything like that and we had and didn't want to play with his parents for very long at all. You know, the duration was just super, super, super short on anything they tried to do. So that's why this worked. And, again, the parents had to invest a lot of time, and they did the hard work with this. It wasn't me. They're the ones carrying out this therapy, this intervention on a daily basis. You know, I'm just blowing in and out of there for an hour a week, an hour every two weeks, however our schedules let us be able to get together. Um, You know, they're the ones taking these recommendations and doing it. And so if you're a parent and you're listening, let me just say (laughs) you're the one who's going to have to do most of the hard work. Your therapist is there to help you and give you ideas and a problem solve with you. But honestly, the children who've made the most progress with uh, improving their overall communication skills, whatever we're working on over the years, have been in the kids who've made the most progress have been where the families have just pretty much said this is my priority. I'm making a commitment to this child's therapy. I am the one responsible for this. I, you know, I have respect for my therapist. I'm going to listen to what they say, but I'm the one who's accountable to no one but myself and to my child as a mom, as a dad. I'm the one who's carrying out this therapy. I'm the one who's teaching my child. I'm the one responsible for the progress this child makes. And that's hard for a lot of parents. A lot of parents, you know, really do just kind of want to say, well, I'm doing, we're going to therapy. Isn't that enough? I I shouldn't, you know, I, I don't really like to work on this stuff at home. I don't know how to work on this stuff at home. I don't get it. That's why I have the therapist. That's why they're getting paid. And I get why parents feel that way. And thankfully it's not. The majority of parents, I mean, I've really found the majority of parents want to know what they can do. They are desperate for new ideas and desperate for information for something that will work. But it's the parents who get that information and then apply it and who take the reins and who know I'm the one who needs to do this. I'm the one who's going to be responsible for this. That's when kids make the most progress. And so certainly these parents have been the poster (laughs) uh, family for this. They have just done an incredible job of taking the recommendations that I've been able to make and suggestions and ideas and strategies and teaching them and saying to them, and they're the ones doing it even in therapy, guys. This little guy responds so much better to mom or dad than he ever will with me because he loves them. He's connected to them. He sees them. And truth be told with me, he's kind of had so much therapy that it doesn't matter what, you know, 30- or 40-year-old woman <laughs> comes to see him or that he goes to see, you know, he kind of got that that uh, fight-or-flight thing going with I'm going to react negatively, um, may, maybe not, you know, really, really consciously, but certainly on some level I do know this little guy Um would would start to react new that the expectation, you know, gosh, mm, we're going to have to do something be- besides exactly what I want to do right now. Somebody else is coming in and gosh, he's going to get my mom to do this stuff with me and this may not be so fun at the beginning. You know, even though you're you're setting the stage to do everything you can to make it really 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 fun and enjoyable and pick what a kid likes, this kid's still kind of new and knows, mm, this is this is going to be a little bit harder. You know, this is therapy time. So, In closing, I'm going to keep updating you about the things we're doing with this kid. Oh, um, I forgot to say one other thing that he really, really, really loved is an idea I've shown you on Therapy Tip of the Week and talked about on the show even recently. He's a kid who didn't really like books at all. And we laminated just some simple picture books, just the picture, color copied the page, cut it out, laminated it, put some Velcro on the back, and his first part of his task when we first started with books would be to take the picture off the page, rip it off, because, boy, don't they like ripping that Velcro. It's like destroying the book. It's the same as tearing the pages apart to kids. You know, they hear it, they feel it, that resistance, and then putting the picture in the box. He has loved that and now he's to the point that he has a lot of books that he loves and his mom has been able to expand these ideas so well so that now he's matching the correct picture after they've taken it apart after you know they have it in the container mom opens the container and then she's able to. Uh, whatever page he's on in the book, she'll hold up two pictures and say, you know, if if it's a picture of the car, get the car. Where's the car? And so we're able to now layer that language and start to really do some more traditional therapy kinds of activities where we're teaching him what words mean. So he's understanding more and is able to follow directions more reliably and identify objects that way. Uh, sometimes you know he's to the point now with his books where he'll he'll see the picture that's after he's taken it apart the the picture that mom gets out of the container for him, he'll find he'll flip to the right page and put the match the picture that way. And again, this has been a long time coming. That those are not things he could do on the first day that we introduced the book. It's only because he's uh, mom has been able to play this game with him and use the book over and over and over and over. It's that exposure, it's practice, it's learning So gradually, you know, every couple of weeks, we're seeing a new level, a new way for him to use the toy. We're constantly expanding. We're not just leaving him at sticking five koosh balls in the top of the coffee can. (laughs) We're thinking, what's the next activity? What would be similar enough that he would like it, um, but new enough where it's a real expansion of the activity? So do you understand what I mean by that? We're looking for activities that, that have some commonalities with what he already likes to do, but then something that's just a little bit harder. So he's always learning that next little level of whatever we're working on. And, again, for this little guy, it's been his play skills. So I hope that I've given you some new ideas if you have a kid who doesn't like toys, let me suggest to you that you back up, do some simpler toys, even back up to the point of looking at shape sorters and ring stackers and puzzles, things that are, or um, Legos, you know, things that you've connected. Help a child learn to take those apart or disassemble those instead of putting them together as we naturally expect. Start kind of the opposite with having them learn to take it apart if you need a container because they're kind of at that developmental level where put it in dump it out is still a big you know a lot of fun for them if you need some kind of little container for the kid to even take the material that you're using and put it in that extra container to make it more fun try some of those things Um, I forgot to say with the books, I wanted to expand the container a little bit more. So we took a cardboard box and I cut a slot in the top so that his laminated pictures can just slide right in that, that box. And what have we done? We've expanded that kind of play with introducing a new container. You know, that's our expansion there. So. Really pay attention to all the factors that go into play. Really think about, really analyze, how can I make this a little harder? How can I make it a little a little bit more complex? What about, how can I change this play activity so that he will like it and want to participate? What would make it worth it to him? Um, and, and I wanted just to give you some ideas of that. Let me also say, you don't really go for the language component at the beginning either. Mom is just now, you know, it's October and she's been doing this since July, she's just now really sort of able to sneak that language in where she's able to really, you know, work on things like picture identification, you know, receptive language, following single step commands. He was not able to do that in July now, or in July, but now we're working toward that because he's had enough practice and exposure and building that familiarity, and now he likes this kind of thing. He likes playing these games and participating with his mom, whereas before he didn't like it because he wasn't good at it and because, frankly, our expectations were too high, too. He could not have taken, you know, he couldn't have sat for mom to read a book. That's still kind of boring to him. It's not enough physical movement in there, so he had to laminate the pictures so that he could... Um, pay attention and want to stay with mom during that and that pulling the picture off that's made him enjoy that activity more so my point here is you have to manipulate what you're doing to address what a kid likes in addition to what he needs and you can't just have the expectation for the goal to be your overriding um, determination of what activity you're using in the beginning because you won't get very far the kid for, for us to just focus on language with this kid you know he just went straight into avoid 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 and so we had to back way up so that we taught him to participate and to enjoy the activity and to enjoy this play before we could get to our language piece and I hope that that makes sense to you I'm going to give you some updates about him hopefully next week we're going to have a great guest Um, It's a mom who's coming on to ask some fantastic questions. But the week after that, or maybe even we'll go another several weeks before I give you another update. But let me just say, I'm not stopping with this kid. I've got some new ideas for how we're going to bump up this play even more. And so I'll be updating you uh, from time to time. And if you need to see the written version of this post so that you can um, get these ideas, check that out at, teachmetotalk.com. Okay. Hope you've enjoyed this show as much as I have. I love talking about kids that are a little bit more complex and figuring out what we can do. And again, I hope that uh, you've gotten some new ideas. Have a great week and we'll be back um, next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.